T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. Uh, you know, this is the hour we feature audio cut of the day a little bit later, Sue, and I'm hunting down something here from the briefing room with Ducey and KJP, and we played the president earlier um, from Sunday where he kind of, and there's been a lot of these lately, let's face it, this is not something that's only happening, you know, every so often. It seems, I'm being honest here, it happens every day where there's a stumble, so this was the latest. Right after I was elected, I went to a, what they call a G7 meeting, all the NATO leaders. And I sat down and I said, America's back. And Mitterrand from Germany, I mean, from France, looked at me and said, uh, said, you know, well, now he's lost. Why? How, how long are you back for? So what I said earlier is I think he realized, he said Mitterrand, who's been dead for 30 years, and then he said Germany, and that's not right either, mm-hmm. and it was Macron. But KJP was asked about that by Ducey, and she said, I'm not going down that rabbit hole with you, sir. What can she say? <laughs> well, right? that's, that's probably a good point. Brad Young's going to join us in the uh, the next segment at the bottom of the hour. A few things that I want to toss in. It's funny. I was going to ask Sue a question, and she asked me about it during the break. <laughs> I was going to say to you, Sue, do you know who Jennifer Crumbly is? And you actually do, right? I do. She is that Michigan school shooter's uh, mother. Who was found guilty in connection with her son's um, school shooting. Ethan Crumbly is her son. And that's an interesting case. So Brad's going to take that on. There was also something I saw on ESPN last night, which I think has some big implications for college athletics. The National Labor Relations Board has ruled that Dartmouth basketball players are employees of the school, which sets a stage for them to unionize. Now, what kind of implications with everything else that's going on in college athletics would would that mean? So we're going to find out. Brad's going to weigh in on that coming up a little bit later. We have Jim Talent, former Missouri senator, with us in this segment to talk about the border and some other things. Jim, how are you? I'm fine, Mark. And I just want to say I'm probably the least cosmopolitan person you know, and even I know, that uh, Mitterrand died years ago and Macron is the president of France. So it's easy to look, it's easy to make a slip. People make, but the the thing is, is that this president's very consistent. It's, it's uncomfortable. It really, it's yeah. uncomfortable for me. I don't want to make fun of people. I have, you know, parents who are aging. I think we all know people that might not be as sharp as they used to be. By the way, mom and dad, if you're listening, I'm not saying that about you. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I'm going to get a call mm-hmm. after the show. But it is uncomfortable. And it's hard for me to believe, Senator, that it's not going to get worse between now and November. And I think this White House kind of knows that. They're bracing themselves. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I do think that those of us who would like to see, and I'm assuming Donald Trump's going to be the nominee, would like to see President Trump win, need to focus on the bigger issues. I mean, the, you know, the people can see the condition that Joe Biden's in. 
So we need to talk about um, how good things were, relatively speaking, under President Trump and what's happened since then, including on the border, which I know you want to ask about. Yeah, so let's segue into this. This is uh, Kirsten Cinema from Arizona, who is one of the four members kind of appointed to usher through this particular piece of legislation. To prevent what's currently occurring, which is mass numbers of people being released into the interior, we created this authority, the Border Emergency Authority, that says, nope, we just shut it down because it's too many people for us to process that quickly and turn away. Yeah. Our bill ends catch and release by creating this new authority that requires people to be detained or be under supervision before their case is resolved. Well, she's a Democrat, worked on that bill with Republicans. Mitch McConnell said, look, the, the guy in the House says it's DOA. It's been made perfectly clear by the speaker that he wouldn't take it up even if we sent it to him. And so I think that's probably why most of our members think we ought to have opposition tomorrow. We'll see. And then move on with the rest of the supplement. Now, Senator Talent, you worked on, I think a lot of people in the past have tried to work on immigration reform like yourself, and they have failed, never getting it really across the finish line. So I know that you have a unique perspective on this. Have you been able to dig into this particular bill? Because there's a lot of stuff in there, right? A little, but it's 370 pages. And immigration is very technical. Of all the things that you want time to review, immigration is one of them. Because there's authorities across different parts of the statutes. They cross-reference. I, I, you know, I don't want to get into it. You know, you, you can't bring out a 370-page bill uh, covering these important subjects and expect people to vote on it in a couple of days. And the practical result of it is that everybody's going to exercise the benefit of, of the doubt against voting for the bill, which is what I would do. I mean, I would vote no on it. And now what it looks like is they're getting back to the process they should have followed all along. I mean, this is the negotiation should have been, in my opinion. And by the way, I should preface by saying James Lankford is a great, great senator. And Kristen Sinema, I think, is one of the best of the Democrats. I mean, so they did the best they could. But the negotiation should have been, look, the Republicans say to the Democrats, we'll let you bring up the supplemental, okay, which – if, if you don't get 60 votes, you can't bring it up, okay? You let us, in return, offer the amendments we want on the border. Everything will be transparent. It will be in the open. We'll have committee hearings on the underlying bill. The amendments will be released uh, plenty of time ahead of when we offer them. And then we will actually have a debate on the Senate, and we'll vote. That's how legislation is supposed to operate, Mark. I've been saying this for months. Now, I want you to explain this a little bit more clearly for the listeners. When you talk about the supplemental, that's the, the spending. But one of the questions that's come up here, because a lot of this is tied to Ukraine and Israel, why can't you have standalone bills on those? Well, you can, but the Republicans were saying, look, the border is a national security issue as well, which it is. It didn't used to be. I, you know, when I used to get asked about are they infiltrating terrorists through the southern border, I would say no, because it's easier to get them through the ports of call like in the Northeast. But the way the border is now, I mean, if, if you're Iran or you're some subnational terrorist group, of course you're infiltrating people in. So it was perfectly reasonable to say, yes, we'll, we'll let us have a vote, and I would vote for it, Israeli aid, Ukrainian aid. We want to offer amendments and language to make the border secure. And that's what the, that's what the negotiation should have been about. I think, by the way, they're getting back to that because now they're talking about 
well, maybe they will let the bill come up, but we're going to have a negotiation about what amendments we can offer. And that's what ought to happen. That's transparent. That's the legislative process, Mark. It I mean, is, I, I voted thousands of times in my life and on, on bills, and this is how you work it. I'm sorry. Okay, no, no, You're no. In- it is the legislative process, but there's also the political process, and I want to ask a question about that. Here's the president blaming here. If the bill fails, I want to be absolutely clear about something. The American people are going to know why it failed. I'll be taking this issue to the country, and the voters are going to know that it's not just a moment. Just at the moment, we're going to secure the border and fund these other programs. Trump and the MAGA Republicans said no, because they're afraid of Donald Trump. (laughs) Afraid of Donald Trump. Every day between now and November, the American people are going to know that the only reason the border is not secure is Donald Trump and his MAGA Republican friends. Well, that's utterly ridiculous. However, I I do think that the media, the legacy media in particular, is going to be complicit there with the president the White House and say, look what happened here. The Republicans didn't want to pass anything because of politics. I mean, they've already kind of started that narrative. Yeah, if you're you're asking a political question, which you are, uh, the Democrats, Biden's not going to say anything about the border that he doesn't have to say because he owns the issue. And he's not going to be talking about that in any event. So, I mean, again, uh, if if they bring up the bill, allow the Republicans to offer the amendments they want to offer, then we can get to a vote on the border. I mean, I mean, there are some good things in this compromise. As far as I can tell, there are also some things that are extremely suspect and nobody's going to vote on a 370 page bill in a couple of days. I mean, it's just not going to happen. So I'm very curious about your response to this. I brought it up a couple of different times in the last two days. I think I mentioned this to um, to Brian Kilmeade when he joined me. But you're someone who obviously has addressed the constitutional needs of this country when it comes to defense, one of your areas of expertise, foreign policy. Bill Malusian from Fox talking about the border. He's doing a great job of covering it, says this yesterday. Interesting context. The $60 billion in Ukraine assistance in the Senate deal is larger than the entire budget of the U.S. Marine Corps requested for fiscal 24, which was $53 billion. Now, when I tweeted that out yesterday, I said, this seems <laughs> effed up, Senator. I mean, there's I, I know that this stuff is more complicated, certainly, than many of us would would understand and and i get that part and i don't want to be an isolationist i i understand that you know evil doers yeah. from around the planet are going to have an influence and then you don't want to spend more money later on down the line when you're trying to rid the world of of problems but that that context is rather it resonates doesn't it yeah it does it and, and you've asked a good, good question now i've supported uh ukrainian aid from the beginning I mean, I'll take 60 seconds here and explain, That's Okay, right, yeah. because because Putin and because Russia under Putin has made itself comprehensively an adversary of the United States, not just in Europe, where it has threatened, for example, uh, the Baltic countries, that, which is the reason they want to join NATO now and are joining NATO, Sweden and Finland, but also in the Middle East and especially in Indo-PACOM, where he's made himself Robin to Xi Jinping's Batman. Okay, so weakening the Russian state, as long as it's under Putin, is in the the national interest of the United States. And that's what's happening in Ukraine. I mean, really, in in a sense, Russia's already lost the war. The problem is the Ukraines haven't won. And so the issue is, how do we get to some kind of an off ramp that guarantees Ukrainian security, uh, but ends the war? 
And I think until we can reach that, it would be nice if the administration told us. I mean, from my perspective, it would be to say, okay, Ukraine, we're going to get a we're going to get a ceasefire more or less along existing lines. We'll negotiate that. And then you're going to get into NATO. So the 85 percent of the country that you still have left is now going to be guaranteed by NATO. And by the way, once the Ukrainians recover from this war, they're going to be a net security contributor to NATO. They've got um, a, a whole lot of military assets, which is why they've been able to hold out to this point. But no, I think it's in America's interest to support Ukraine. If this were an entirely local dispute between Russia and Ukraine, we could take the position India's taken, which is the aggression is terrible, but we're not going to get involved. But it's not because of what uh, Russia is doing in other parts of the world. Yeah, and and some of this kind of takes me back because I wanted to ask you about Taiwan. This bill, this is where I think there's a disconnect with people who try to follow this stuff. So you got a $118 billion deal, which, by the way, it's dead at this point. They're going to have to redo it. But this includes aid for Ukraine, Taiwan, and Israel, right? All of those things are lumped in here. Right. And if the Democrats don't allow the Republicans to offer amendments, then the Republicans have a question, okay? Do we want to let it go forward on grounds of national interest? I would probably say yes. And then I would take the border issue to the people in the election. Okay. If Biden wants to fight this election out on what's happened to the border, by all means, let's do that. Okay. But the, but the negotiations should have been about, okay. We'll let you bring the bill up. We want to offer these border amendments. And then when they say no, well, it's very clear. You don't want to fix the border. And I think it's going to, the, the, the discussions are going to revert back to that in the next week or two, which, in my opinion, as I said, is where where they should have been all along. Senator Jim Talent is with us. So can you th- this is another one of those where I don't like to dumb things down, but I do think it eludes people when they hear about the Houthis and the, you know, the military strikes back and forth, how that plays in, how it connects with Iran, how it's important in the Middle East right now. So what's your primer on that, Jim Talent? Well, we finally responded. We struck 85 targets in Syria and 36 in Yemen, according to the Department of Defense. Um, We didn't kill any Iranians, uh, and I'm not sure we actually killed anybody. I mean, it was good that they responded. It's better than nothing. They took out some radar sites and somewhere else. I'm not trying to run it down. I'm just saying Iran's whole strategy in the Middle East is to apply military pressure against their enemies through proxies. The Houthis are Iranian proxies, Hezbollah is, Hamas is, Islamic Jihad is. So when we strike at the proxies, in in a way, we're validating Iran's um, strategy. Okay, You have to strike at Iran. I mean, the Israelis, I think since like December, have quietly killed 17 senior officers of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, which is a message the Iranians hear. In the, in the late 80s, when the Iranians were mining the Persian Gulf and attacking shipping, uh, Ronald Reagan ended up sinking a quarter of their navy, and then they stopped. So this is what we're going what in my opinion, we should have been doing all along and what we're going to have to do. And again, let's go back to Trump. Under his maximum pressure policy, Iranian oil experts have, exports have been reduced to 100,000 a day. They're now 1.3 million. They had $4 billion in foreign exchange. They now have over 20. Hmm. We've been following a policy of appeasement, and they have been doing what aggressors always Hmm. do. They attack when they see weakness. 
But when we respond, you know, it's interesting. I've, I've kind of, my life always relates to Television Center. That's how sad it is. But I've mentioned a few times that I started rewatching the show, The West Wing, from, you know, it started in 1999. And like the second or third episode is called A Proportional Response. And it has to do with, um, with Iran, actually. And, you know, Martin Sheen plays the president and he's frustrated because. His, you know, Joint Chiefs draw up this response to the attack. It actually is a—someone died. It was a doctor, a military guy that got shot down on an airplane. But his point was, look, we draw these things up. I even saw Ben Shapiro tweet about this relating to this particular situation last week. They kind of know it's coming. We do these strategic targets. Do we actually inflict punishment mm. in these situations? And is it actually—is it actually a proportional response? Well, the language in the national security world is you inflict costs and consequences. Okay. Now, the way this ought to work is you have a menu of options prepared beforehand. And when they strike, now this is a tactical question, you choose from the menu. It's proportional in the sense that you don't like, you know, you don't bomb them back to the Stone Age. Okay. But what you always want to do is inflict enough punishment. So that in their minds, if they're acting rationally, they say, gee, we wish we hadn't attacked the Americans. Okay, that's what you want to do. When Trump took out, remember when Trump took out Kasim Soleimani, who was the commander of the IRG, the the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, that sent. So one guy we took out that sent a message all through the Middle East. The Americans are back. The Americans are really back. They know how to protect their interests. They have the ability to do it, and they can act rationally to defend their own people. See, that's the sort of thing I thought at the time. That's a really brilliant stroke. I mean, it, 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 it really was. I mean, it was low risk. We took him out, and boy, that sent a message. So this is the sort of thing, and, and on, a, on a White House level, what you do is task the Pentagon to come up with this menu, and then you investigate it beforehand so you are prepared when you need it. But the problem is, Mark, they've been trying to structure a policy in the Middle East around a partnership with Iran. This administration. Yeah, yeah. They really have. And, of course, the rest of the Middle East looks at this and says the Americans are crazy. We can't trust them. Well, it's hard for me to believe that the Houthis and anyone else isn't dialed into CNN and Fox and they they see how feeble, um, sadly, the president is. And and that probably plays in their favor. I mean, how couldn't it? Well, it does. It doesn't help. Let's yeah. put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. This is this is mostly a question of actions rather than words. And I think we're going to see probably an escalation because I don't think the Iranians are going to stop. All right. Well, we'll see where it takes us. Former Senator Jim Talent, our best to Brenda, who's due for a spin on the Reardon Roundtable, maybe even next week. Say hi, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Jim. I will. All Thank right. you. Yeah, we'll see you. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.
have an audio cut of the day before we wrap this show up a little bit later this hour, right around 5.50 or so. We've had a hell of a, a day. We had Dan Houks from Warrensburg State Rep talking about sports wagering. Governor Mike Parson joined us in the 3 o'clock hour talking about the border, and he's got a new book out. Um, also, Kill Me in the Last Hour. I point all of this out because you can always use the, use rather the fabulous rewind function on the Odyssey app to check out earlier parts of the show. I mean, this next segment probably will be the most rewound because it features our good friend Brad Young, who is our legal analyst, fills in here on 97.1 FM Talk from Harris, Dow, Fisher, and Young. This one's going to get lots of hits. You better not suck, Brad Young. How are you this afternoon? I'm just impressed by my opening acts today. And, you know, it's an impressive opening acts when you've got the governor, kill me, Jim Talent. Uh, I just have to deliver on the main show. Yeah, and I didn't even mention Talent. We we have had a great lineup. But, look, I'm glad that you're here. I wanted to talk about several things. But let's start with the, uh, the Gen- January 6th case and the immunity deal because I really haven't covered that much today. What happened and what does this mean? Well, a three-judge panel of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D- D.C. Circuit Mark, they they ruled, and this is the first level of appeals. Uh, they ruled that Trump does not enjoy what was what's called broad immunity from all federal prosecution. That's been Trump's position. That on January sixth, he was acting as the president, and under uh, the Constitution, under our federal laws, uh, a president cannot be prosecuted for the acts that he does as president. But the lower court in this case found that the activities on January 6th were not presidential acts, but were in fact activities designed uh, to continue his stay in office. So they were more akin to a campaign event than it was the official duties of the president. So because of that, the underlying circuit court ruled he doesn't enjoy uh, that what's called immunity, broad immunity from federal prosecution. And now the three-judge panel of the Court of Appeals has upheld that lower court ruling. So is it true that the, the, the appeals courts or courts have really never asked or answered this, I guess, really ruled on the question of whether former presidents escape being held accountable by the justice system for things they did while in office? Really, that's never been put to the court in this fashion? No, it, it was going to come up during Watergate. Uh, but after the president, President Nixon, decide, uh, decided to to resign from office, at that point, there was an agreement to forestall any prosecution. And so this issue was never reached in the 1970s, but we're certainly reaching it now. All right. So so what does it really mean for Trump? Because the, the conventional wisdom is, I think this is true, he's going to appeal to the Supremes, right? He is. And and there's some procedural issues. He has to appeal to the entire panel of the D.C. Circuit, which he has to do before he can appeal it to the Supremes. He will. Now, here's where uh, and I've heard some other analysis on this today. And and I I at this point am disagreeing with a lot of the analysis that I'm hearing. And here's my area of disagreement. In order to get an emergency stay at the Supreme Court, it takes four justices. That's what's considered and called uh, getting cert or, or certiari from the court. And as I look at the makeup of the Supreme Court, I'm not certain that Trump's going to get four justices who want to deal with this in addition to all of the other issues that, that they're having to deal with with Trump and others. I'm not so sure he's going to get those four. And if he doesn't, then the lower court decision would stand. Interesting. Well, I'm not a justice and I'm not an appellate court judge or anything like that, but I I happen, let's just take Trump out of it, right? 
just for a second. I know it's very difficult to do with, with that president in particular. If the question is posed, can former presidents escape being held accountable by the criminal justice system for things they did while in office? My answer to that is no, they should be held accountable. Well, that's not true. Let me give you an example. Uh-oh, Let's, here we go. <laughs> told you I wasn't I, a lawyer. Not you a change justice, the, Brad. You, ch- you change the facts, Mark. Okay, and, go ahead. And, and it changes the analysis. All right. Let, let's look at if if uh, if a president if President Jones decides to do a missile strike on some terrorist that's located either inside the country or outside the country doesn't matter. Could the president be prosecuted for that? Absolutely not. Nope. Both under under federal law and under the Constitution. Okay, so I agree with that. What, right, what, because he's different? carrying out the duties of the presidency. Right, right. But the question becomes, again, let's change the facts. Let's say, for example, uh, George Bush, George W. Bush liked to drive pickup trucks. He's president. He's driving a pickup truck. He's intoxicated. And he runs over somebody and kills them. Okay. Can the president be prosecuted for drunk driving while he kills somebody? He's the president, but he's out joyriding, drunk driving in Texas and kills somebody. Of course. The answer to that would be yes, because drunk driving isn't considered part of the office of the president. Okay. Well, so I I just said all that. You just explained it better. That's what well, I of meant. Of course. That's, that's what I'm paid what to I do. Meant, Brad. That's exactly what I meant. I wasn't trying to say anything different. But yes, I see the differences there. I do. Okay. So now when you have those two polar extremes. Yes, I got you. The question becomes, looking at what Trump was doing and what he said on January 6th, was it more akin to something that was in the furtherance of the responsibility and duties of the presidency? Or was it in the responsibilities and duties of himself? And campaign activities are not considered uh, president's presidential duties. That's why, for example, if the president hops on Air Force One and goes to a campaign stop, he or she has to reimburse the federal government for those costs because they're not considered the activities or actions of the president. And if you look at what he was doing on January 6th, to me, any objective analysis of what he was saying and doing was an attempt to stay in office which is a campaign activity as opposed to furthering the duties of the office itself. I think that's a solid interpretation. I do. Yeah. And, and I see I'm glad you explained it that way because um, I see the differences. Here's what the appellate court said today. This is how they rule. At bottom, former President Trump's stance would collapse our system of separated powers by placing the president beyond the reach of all three branches. Presidential immunity against federal indictment would mean that, as to the president, the Congress could not legislate, the executive could not prosecute, the judiciary could not review. We cannot accept that the office of the presidency places its former occupants above the law or all time after thereafter. So does that do did what those appellate judges say in that ruling there? counter anything that you just said with your with your analogies not at all not at all so for example during oral argument trump's attorney said he was asked uh by one of the appellate justice judges if the president ordered a naval uh, a navy seal strike to kill a political opponent would that evade and still allow the president to have immunity if he used a navy seal team Mm -hmm. to kill a political opponent and Trump's attorney said, yes, it would. It would. He would still be covered under presidential immunity. And it doesn't, it wouldn't fit under that because killing a political opponent is an attempt to remain in office or to be reelected, not in furtherance of the duties of the presidency. So if, let me go back to the ruling here and all that makes sense. But if, if 
it does reach the Supreme Court, they have to decide whether they even accept the case or they reject it. Then it goes to the appeals court ruling, right? Nothing else happens at that point? Yeah. Well, basically what we have is, is if this goes, it, it would go to Justice Roberts right now because Justice Roberts is the the justice who by himself, because there's always one justice who can issue an emergency stay, a temporary stay of the order. Justice Roberts could do that. The next decision would be, will the court take it? And that would take four justices to say yes. If they say, no, we're not going to take it, then the this decision by the three-judge panel at the Court of Appeals, that would stand. Trump would not have blanket immunity, and he would have to actually face these charges and be decided whether he's guilty or innocent, as opposed to simply dismissing everything under the idea of immunity. So this whole thing, I mean, if this really does get to trial and they start talking about these things, originally this was set for March 4th, but that's been trapped now. And we don't I don't think we have a new date, but this could really be fascinating. Yeah, these things are if it comes to fruition and there are witnesses put on the stand and Trump testifies or whatever happens, it really could be fascinating. Now, I'm I'm one that absolutely is revolted by what happened on January 6th, including some of the president's behavior. But I think this is a ridiculous charge. I mean, there's one thing having an opinion that something was not right or improper, but the whole insurrection thing is just nutty. Listen, listen, having given all that analysis, someone could be saying that that I've already provided. Someone could say, oh, well, Brad's just saying that because he doesn't like Trump. However, I've said publicly here and on Camo X many times that when you analyze the words that President Trump used on January 6th, they do not amount to anything that would incite a riot. He's protected under free speech. So even though I believe that he, uh, in my analysis here is, he, he does not enjoy immunity from prosecution. I do believe that that prosecution should go in his favor because nothing that he said would incite a riot or would cause other people to cause harm to others or the government. And he should be acquitted from that particular charge of his activities on January 6th. Brad Young here, 97.1 FM Talk Legal Analyst. Excuse me. I have three minutes. I want to cover two more stories. One is the Jennifer Crumbly trial, which was interesting. Didn't get a lot of national attention just because of the news cycle. But this is the one with the uh, school shooter in Michigan. And the mom was charged for, you know, not doing enough. Right, Brad? Yeah, she was. And she was charged with four counts of involuntary manslaughter. She was convicted on all four counts. Uh, I believe that she could be held uh, in prison for 15 years for each count maximum, which would be 60 years uh, in the Gray Bar Motel. Now, having said that, this is the first of its kind, and it gives me some concern, Mm. because if this is held up on, on appeal, this would be the playbook of the left to say anytime there's any shooting, we're going to, number one, try to prosecute the parents or number two, prosecute the spouse. So if John Smith goes and shoots up something, then the uh, the the possibility could be we're going to prosecute, you know, Mrs. Shooter and saying you should have controlled your husband or uh, because he should not have been allowed to have those guns. And to me, even though I think this is probably the right verdict here, I'm concerned about the precedent this sets for future shootings. I agree, Brad. And well, let me ask you this. What happened to the husband? Why is the wife going <laughs> on? I have not delved into that it, part. Very easy. OK, uh, the main defense to an involuntary manslaughter charge is somebody else is responsible. So the husband and wife could not be tried together because they're each pointing the finger at each other. Ah. So the, the husband's trial goes to trial in on, I believe, March 15. And I promise oh, you, he's going to do too. what yeah. he's going to do. What's called argue the empty chair. He's going to say, look, 
my wife has already been convicted of this. Obviously, I'm not responsible. So I could see him getting acquitted simply because the wife's trial went first and she was convicted. So this next topic is going to take more time, and I'll just kind of toss it out. We'll have to visit on this again. I'm watching the KU-K State game last night, which, by the way, was outstanding. K-State beat KU. I was really proud about that overtime. But I'm watching ESPN, and at the bottom of ESPN, I see this thing about how the National Labor Relations Board greenlit this union election for members of the Dartmouth College men's basketball team. Now, if you pair that up with all this stuff with, you know, name, (laughs) image, and likeness, it seems to me that that's a pretty big story and has big implications for college athletics, right? It does, because if these student athletes are considered employees, uh, Katie bar the door, because now you could have strikes, you could have work comp claims, you could have unionized students. It really opens the door to them being classified as employees rather than athletes. How how could students be classified as employees if they're they're paying to go there, but that's it, just because they're getting paid? You could be a student student and you could be a TA, right? You can be a teaching assistant, still go, and you're an employee of the university, but this is a little different. But look, when I saw that, I thought, oh man, you know, if college athletics isn't destroyed at this point, it will be. Brad Young, awesome to have you on as usual. Thanks for setting us straight on some hey, of this stuff. I hope I met the high bar. You absolutely yep. fit in perfectly. We're going to make sure we use the rewind function on the Odyssey app for all the guests today. Brad, we'll talk soon. Thank you. You're welcome. Earlier today off the air, I asked Sue if she knew who Gina Carano was, and I don't think you really were familiar, were you? Nope. She's a, well, I think she really got her start on the MMA circuit, female um, women's MMA huh. mixed martial arts, and was a star in that world. Um, I don't follow that world, but I do know she came from there. But she was an actress, and she was in the show The Mandalorian. Then a few years ago, she was dismissed from The Mandalorian because she wasn't politically correct. Oh, and I geez. can't remember exactly what got her into trouble, but she tweeted something out today with the help of Elon Musk that was very interesting. She said this. I retweeted this earlier. I think I did. Well, if I didn't, I'll do it now. Today is an important day for me. I'm filing a lawsuit against Lucasfilm and Disney. After my 20 years of building a career from scratch and during the regime of former Disney CEO Bob Chappick, Lucasfilm made this statement on Twitter, terminating me from The Mandalorian. Just listen to the statement and tell me that this isn't problematic. Gina Carano is not currently employed by Lucasfilm, and there are no plans for her to be in the future. Nevertheless, her social media posts denigrating people based on their cultural and religious identities are abhorrent and unacceptable. Uh-huh. What'd she actually well, and say? Well, I'm going to look into that. I haven't had time to, to dig it all up, but she said nothing could be further from the truth. The truth, the truth is I was being hunted down from everything I posted to yep. every post I liked because I was not in line with the acceptable narrative of the time. She's right about that. My words were consistently twisted to demonize and dehumanize me as an alt-right-wing extremist. It was a bullying smear campaign aimed at silencing, destroying, and making an example on me. And by, She's right about all of that. And she, she didn't do, she kind of outlines this in her tweet um, and asked some questions back at the uh, the people who were her critics saying, ask yourself why they were calling me a racist. Was there any merit? No, there wasn't any merit. It was just that she was someone who sided with conservatives and she didn't like masks and lockdowns and vaccines and well, stuff like forced vaccines. Of her. Exactly. So they went after her. And I don't know, you know, maybe this is something I should have asked uh, Brad where you, you have a defamation claim from a tweet like that. But here's what happened. And she made this clear. A couple of months ago, Elon Musk tweeted that if you've been fired from using the platform X for exercising your right to free speech, he would like to offer these people legal representation. So he got he got involved here. She says she didn't respond back, but finally did. And he took up the cause and he uh-huh. retweeted Gina Carano today. So that is fascinating. Again, the, the legal, you know, 
requirements for defamation or what she's going to sue, I'm not exactly sure, but it does make for some interesting moments with Elon and his, you know, pocketbook involved because you're going to have high-priced attorneys. Playback ready. Now, the audio cut of the day. All right, Sue, I'm very confused by this one, but I will uh, tell you that this is from Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City, who's, you know, he's been in a little bit of uh, hot water just because, I don't know if it's him, but you have people mad at the mayor because he hasn't handled the immigration issue. He wants to blame Donald Trump and the administration, all these things. Oh, sure, to everybody but him. Right, but you saw, remember yesterday, Brandon Johnson, the mayor of Chicago, when he's asked about the border, he says, hey! I got kids and a wife. I don't got time for that, even though that's your job. Totally so Eric bizarre. Adams, I don't even know what he meant by this, but I'm going to play it to you as our audio cut of the day because he's blaming. He says, look, he's got all these people in his administration that are people of color. That's why he's being criticized. Have you ever seen this much chocolate leading the city of New York? And then go down the line. Look, look who's here. This is representative of the city. That's why people are hating on me. Uh-huh. Yeah. You trying to figure out why they're hating on me? They're hating on me because those are, how many of you go to church? Ma'am, this is a Matthew 21 and 12 moment. Jesus walked in the temple. He saw them doing wrong in the temple. He did what? He turned the table Came over. over. I went to city hall to turn the table over. You know, okay. it, it didn't even sound like the crowd was with him there, it right? It didn't. And these are the people who elected him. So he's calling them all. Uh, yeah, none they're all of racist. This, if it, you criticize anyone, you criticize Brandon Johnson in Chicago, racist. You criticize Eric Adams, racist. If you criticize Tish here in St. Louis, it's all about race. If you criticize Cori Bush, are you kidding me? Racist attacks. We'll talk tomorrow. Get more at 971talk.com. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 